You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. Drew here as usual with Josh and Connor again. Guys, how's the week been for you? It's been it's been all right. Uh, you know, another seemingly eventful week. Kind of touched base on that last week between the protests and all the the police brutality that's been going on in the U.S. And so that, along with uh, sports, seems like every day there's news of another league coming back and and a slight return to normalcy. So it's probably I'd say it's been a crazy week. Yeah, it's been. Just another week in 2020, really. I think it's the only way to describe it. Just world is falling apart and trying to make the best of it. But here we are. We got Spain coming back on Thursday. So I'm getting hyped to watch probably Barcelona take the championship again. (laughs) Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Like, it's cool seeing Spain come back. I'm not too invested in the Spanish league. I think I, my team is Atletico Madrid just because they're kind of the underdogs, but they're way out of it. But yeah, like Connor said, La Liga is coming back Thursday um, in Serie A, and Italy is coming back the 20th. Um, but before Serie A, we have the Premier League coming back June 17th, which, Josh, I think in one of our first episodes, we talked about who our Premier League teams are. And I don't know if you've told us, Connor, who's your Premier League team? Have you told us yet? No, because I don't have one. Uh, we might have touched on this. Okay, yeah, we might have touched right, on yeah. this when we were talking about our Bundesliga teams, and I was a massive hypocrite. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I don't have a Premier League team. I'm open to being swayed. I'll probably go like Liverpool because of Klopp and their style of football, um, or soccer uh, for the people who don't like people from North America calling soccer football, but. Yeah, um, Liverpool maybe. I feel like that's sort of a cop out because they're so good right now and a bit of a bandwagon move, but they're good. <laughs> what can I say? Yeah, I think with I think with Premier League, you know, it's pretty much it's pretty much locked up with Liverpool. The thing that I'm most excited for, even as a Spurs fan, because I'm I'm feeling pretty uh, pretty pessimistic about what Spurs are going to do when they come back, but th- that's another thing. Uh, the thing I'm probably most excited for is just the the production value of the Premier League games. I think it's far above what uh, Fox does with Bundesliga. It's above what ESPN Plus does with Serie A. Um, I think the only way I'm able to watch low league games is BN Sports, and th- that's fine. Th- those are okay. R- Ray Hudson's pretty fun to listen to. Um, for those who haven't gotten a chance to catch him calling the La Liga game. But that's very limited in the U.S. So I feel like Premier League kind of takes the cake in terms of production. So I'm interested to see what they do differently from uh, before the pandemic, from how they, they did the broadcast, which are always super aesthetically pleasing. The the, the way they present the games always seems really colorful, which is something that I think people take for granted from watching games. So... For me, at least, I'm excited just to to see the Premier League product again. It's become so big here in the U.S. Uh, in the last few years, so 
you know, I, I haven't really been following Bundesliga as much in the last couple of weeks, partially because Bayern's kind of got things wrapped up, but also because I feel like Fox isn't doing anything spectacular with the Bundesliga. And uh, for those that don't know, those games are going to ESPN Plus start of next season. So, you know, from a business standpoint, Fox isn't really inclined to capture their audience since they're losing those games start of next year. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited personally for, for Premier League production side of things. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to having those conversations with soccer fans again. Like, people talk about the Bundesliga and they focus on the North Americans. They don't necessarily focus on the specific teams. And I feel like the, with the Premier League, it's a bit different where we can actually have in-depth conversations about tactics and uh, managerial drama and actual drama, I guess, in the table uh, because it's obviously... Not as close, but second to fifth is unbelievably close right now. And the amount of potential for different Champions League outcomes and things like that. I'm looking forward to talking to people about just soccer. It's been a long time since we've been able to talk about sports and it just feels good to be back, really. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Connor. The Bundesliga was cool to watch, but I think... Like Josh mentioned, the building that the Premier League has here in the States is so much greater. So people will be more open to having those conversations. So that's a really good point. Going to talk about your favorite Premier League teams and battling for those Champions League spots. But getting out of Europe, uh, MLS is working on coming back. I'm Atlanta United in Sporting Kansas City. Returned to full team training today on Monday while we're recording this. Um, and... MLS owners agreed to a CBA with the players, so they were able to avoid a lockout. Um, And while we don't have a specific start date of when MLS is going to be coming back up, um, it's looking like it's going to be the beginning of July, and that announcement is expected. I think the deadline was moved, or the announcement rather, was moved to Wednesday, so keep an eye out on that. MLS is working on getting there. Um, Like a lot of leagues in the U.S. are either have plans Um, with the exception of Major League Baseball, but that's another thing. But most leagues have plans or are almost there, so MLS not far behind. Um, But, yeah, like Josh mentioned, um, with the protests still going on, um, that has affected U.S. soccer. Um, And like we're recording this on Monday, uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation is meeting on Tuesday to discuss repealing the rule about standing for the national anthem, which specifically... um, targets Megan Rapinoe who I think she was the first player I know for sure I think she was the only player in USSF to kneel for the national anthem um so I guess Josh specifically for you as the other American on the show do you think USSF owes Megan Rapinoe an apology for not having done this for not repealing the rules sooner than they have yeah um so I, I definitely have a somewhat strong opinion about this before we get to that um I feel like we need to take it. We didn't put this in the rundown, so I guess it's a mistake on our part. But I feel like we need to talk for a second about the MLS players and their response to the league. Because, you know, I think all all four of us, we had Ivan on with us last week, another um, contributor for the, for the website. But it seemed like all four of us were pretty upset with the owner's handling of the league and the handling of the lockout or the potential lockout um, of their own players. You know, I, I don't know 
what you guys have seen. The thing that jumped out most to me, uh, and this is from the Atlanta market, obviously being here, I'm going to see a lot of that, but Jeff Lorenowitz, uh, midfielder for Atlanta United, he did a lot of media stuff this week, and his, as one of the more veteran players in the league, I think he's 38, 39, he's been in the league for about 15 years. Um, he's like fourth all-time active appearances, something. He's been in the league a really long time, so when he says something, when he speaks out about an issue, it's really big, but he was really talking about how upset the players are with the owners, how much trust has been broken as a result of the owner's um, threat to lock out the players. And, you know, what what are your guys' thoughts on how this could potentially affect the league going forward? Because, yes, they're in a CBA agreement for the next five years, starting next year. That's been pushed back a year. But, you know, how will this affect this next CBA down the road? Can the owners repair those relations in the next five years? You know, what what do you guys take away from sort of the fallout of that this past week? Look, I said it last week, and I'm going to say it again this week. The players aren't going to forget forget this. This is something that's going to stick in their minds. This was disrespectful by the owners, and it was them trying to capitalize on a situation where they players were disadvantaged and where they were threatening the livelihoods of these people who couldn't necessarily afford to have their livelihoods threatened. Um, MLS, as we talked about in the past, isn't the biggest league with the biggest salaries. You know, the minimum salary is only like, what, $54,000 around that area. And when you think about the fact that these guys have to survive on that for the rest of their life because they can only play soccer until their max... 40 probably more like early to mid 30s it's a poor move uh stupid move by the owners initially and it's going to cost them in the future because the players aren't going to forget this especially when the salaries are up and these players are able to afford to go on strike right now they're not able to do that and i think once they're able to actually go on strike and use the power that they have the owners are going to seriously regret the decision that they made and threatening this lockout. So I have a, a follow-up question with that, and I have my own answer to the question, which I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys answer the question first. We'll start with you, Drew. Does this change your perception of, in this case for you, Arthur Blank as the owner of Atlanta United? Because I, I would assume that like the rest of the Atlanta United fans, you probably love Uncle Arthur, as the supporters call him, right? I I love him. He's done great things for the city, for the Falcons, for United. Does this change your perception of him, or do you like to think that he's kind of separate from the rest of the owners in this decision? What what are your what's your opinion on that? Um, yeah, I think like Josh said, it's hard to live in Atlanta and not love Arthur Blank for everything he's done for the city. Um, but it doesn't change my perception because. When I think when I think of other organizations, I like to think of Atlanta United as like Alexi Lawless calls in this MLS Super Club, right? He uses that phrase all over the place. Um, only been in the league for what going on their fourth season and already have MLS Cup, um, U.S. Open Cup, and the players they're signing show that the organization isn't afraid to spend money with Ezekiel Barco and Pity Martinez. So because Arthur Blank and the front office has shown that they're willing to spend the money um, to build a top-level team at MLS. It doesn't change my perception of Arthur Blank, but I think 
were kind of spoiled in Atlanta having an owner like Arthur Blank. So personally for me in my club, it does not change my perception. Now, Connor, real quick, tell us your relationship with MLSE, the sports group that owns, was it the Maple Leafs, the Raptors, and obviously Toronto FC, right? So tell us your relationship with them and then if this changes anything for you. Uh, well, if people aren't aware of what MLSE is, it's as Drew just mentioned, or Josh, sorry, just mentioned, it's a conglomerate of a majority stake in Bell and Rogers, which are two massive telecommunications companies in Canada, and a man by the name of Larry Tannenbaum. And those three are very preoccupied right now. Uh, when you consider the two media companies, they got to find content and they got to figure out what's happening in there side of things and Larry Tannenbaum is technically the deciding vote but if we're being honest TFC is not his priority he is majority Leafs um, potentially Raptors as well and uh, it should be noted that the Argos are also won by MLSE but nobody outside of Canada cares about that because it's a Canadian Football League team Um, but yeah it doesn't change my perception of him I I don't I think that's a unique position right now, a unique situation that Toronto FC are in. It isn't a singular owner; it's a group. Um, and I think if it were a singular person like Larry Tenenbaum, or if we're going way back in the day with the Leafs, Harold Ballard, my opinion would be tarnished. But right now, it isn't personally. So for me personally, you know. I- Again, this city, the city of Atlanta just adores Arthur Blank, and, and they should. Um, and personally, I'd like to believe that there's this room of MLS owners, uh, virtual with the pandemic, but there's this room of MLS owners discussing the lockout, the potential lockout of their players, which it should be noted that Don Garber took full responsibility of that and said it was his idea to threaten the players with the lockout. Whether or not that's true, we'll leave that to you, listener, to to figure out on your own, uh, to, to pick an opinion. Personally, I think that's BS. I think that there are plenty of owners in the league that would have preferred to lock out their players to squeeze some money out of them. Uh, on top of that, though, I, I'd like to believe that Arthur Blank was not one of those owners. He wasn't one of the, the guys trying to squeeze money out of his players. You know, I think Blank's got a great relationship with the, the players in Atlanta, both with United and the Falcons, uh, and again, especially with the citizens of the city. So... You know, I'd like to believe that he wasn't a part of that, although if someone were to give me a list of all the owners that were for the lockout and he was on that list, I, I can't say I would be surprised just with how the league's owners seem to behave in this sort of uh, area, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, just uh, we, we definitely needed to follow up on that last week, especially with how upset all of us at uh, MLS Multiplex were. Thankfully, it got sorted out and at least from my point of view, I think the players, I won't say they won, but they didn't, they don't seem too harmed, right? The, the pay cut proposal that they sent to the league is what I believe ended up getting uh, ratified. So it's kind of sounds like they got their terms in regards to that. So thankfully MLS is coming back when that remains to be seen. Some players still sound pretty upset about it. Sounds like they're kind of refuting some of the things Garber and the owners have said about scheduling and whatnot. So hopefully this official announcement this week comes out and clears up some things. But back to Megan Rapinoe. Back to 
whether or not the U.S. Soccer Federation has apologized. So personally, I think absolutely. For those that don't know, um, the Soccer Federation introduced a rule following Colin Kaepernick's um, kneeling protests during the National Anthem from the National Football League. U.S. Soccer came out with a rule saying its players needed to stand for the National Anthem. And I believe, I saw today, it was reported the first... um, the first punishment was a suspension of two or three games. And the second punishment, if you do it again, was a 12-month suspension, 12-month ban from uh, Federation-related activities or something along those lines, which is just insane to me, especially now that it seems like these large corporations, these large sporting groups are starting to figure out what kneeling was about in the first place. I think... The Soccer Federation should outright apologize to Megan Rapino. What do you guys think about it? Can I jump in and say, I am, as you've already mentioned earlier, I'm not an American, but I don't think that punishment is necessarily that out of the question because they are technically a government organization. And with the way that this that country is run by Donald Trump, it wouldn't shock me to see him cut funding immediately if something like that were to happen and something like this strict punishment keeps players in line. I do think that they pro- they should apologize for what happened. Maybe wait a couple months until he potentially gets voted out of office. Um, but I do think they should eventually apologize. And again, you it is a government-run organization. It's a government-funded organization. And that's crucial because... You don't want to disrespect or risk the funding that you have from said government and when said government strongly disagrees with a very, very fair protest, you're trapped between a rock and a hard place. Um, But again, that's just my outsider's point of view. Drew, as an insider, what do you think? Um, I think U.S. Hawker 1,000% needs to apologize to Megan Rapinoe. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was following Colin Kaepernick, and I really, I think she was one of the first athletes in general to kneel with Colin Kaepernick, not just from the U.S. soccer perspective, but just from athletes as a whole. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, I think the protest turned into something that it was not, um, and now that is coming to light with other athletes. I think Drew Brees um, even came out with an apology saying that he has learned what those protests were about. Um, so a thousand percent, they need to own apology. Um, U.S. soccer really isn't in a really good spot right now with um, how they have handled the protests. With I, the only thing I've seen is that graphic, which I think we talked a little bit about last week, how it was pretty bad. Um, so U.S. soccer really needs to try and save face as much as they can, and it's it's needed to happen. It's past due. Um, organizations and teams are starting to come to light to this that apologies need to be made and things need to change. And U.S. soccer 1,000% needs to apologize to her for that. So real quick, I want to circle back sort of a couple things you guys have said. So, Connor, I think you bring up a really good point. You're talking about the potential backlash from President Trump here in the United States, and he's he's got his very clear opinions on athletes kneeling during the national anthem. And I think that's a great point that, yeah, the, the government does fund part of the soccer federation. That being said, uh, you know, I this is that this is that sort of 
situation, right? Where it's like, you're going to be on the right side of history. You're going to be on the wrong side of history. When this is all documented over the next, however many years, you know, how many people are going to look back at us soccer and say they were wrong for this or they were right for this, or they were wrong first and then they owned their mistakes and then they, they fixed it. I think it needs to be done as soon as possible. Uh, I don't think we've said it yet, but the, the board of the federation, a bunch, bunch of people in charge of the federation are meeting tomorrow. We're recording this on Monday. They're meeting tomorrow and Tuesday to discuss repealing the rule. Um, and tonight, just before we start uh, recording this, uh, the Players Athlete Council, uh, they came out and made a statement saying um, the federation should repeal the policy. They should publish a statement acknowledging it was wrong. An apology to black players and supporters should also uh, start to lay out plans for how they're going to support this movement going forward. And then also, I believe, uh, give an apology to Rapino. So they did demand that outright, which I think is great. Um, so that being said, I, I think the, the Federation, while yes, funding might be an issue, you can assume, hopefully, that Trump is gone in five months or in a half a year. And even if he does threaten to pull funding, right, that it's going to take longer than a few months and it just won't ever materialize. Hopefully, if President Trump tries to take that action, that's the outcome to where he can't really affect anything. Um, and, you know, they, they, they need to take the Drew Brees route, right? They need to own their mistakes. They need to take the NFL route. They need to say that what they did was wrong um, because, frankly, it, it was, right? It doesn't get more peaceful in terms of protesting, as we've come to realize in the last few weeks, than kneeling during the national anthem, which, for those that don't know, was proposed by someone who served in the military, right? Originally, Colin Kaepernick was sitting on the bench during the anthem, and a veteran reached out to Kaepernick, said, I don't like that you're doing this. They had a civil discussion about it. The veteran then suggested, Kaep- suggested Kaepernick kneel, and that's where that came about. So I, I think that's an important part of the this whole debate, this whole story that frankly needs to be refreshed for people that don't know that um, sort of origin story. So yeah, I think they need to apologize. And that being said, going forward, let's assume they do repeal the policy tomorrow. Let's let's assume that they're just going to hopefully unanimous, unanimously vote to get rid of the policy. If let, Let's assume you guys are the person in charge of putting out the PR statement tomorrow, right? Drew, what are you going to say to the Soccer Federation's supporters about this whole anthem policy? What are you going to say to the people? I think you first need to make the apology first and foremost um, using specifically Megan Rampino's name because obviously when you make that statement, that's the first thing that's going to people's minds. So you need to specifically acknowledge her and her protest um, when that happens. Um, and I think you have to acknowledge the situation we're in, right? Uh, you have to acknowledge the police brutality, um, acknowledge that this is not just a recent occurrence, that that it's nothing new, that this has been going on for years and years. And now it just feels like this might just be the straw that broke the camel's back. So I think it needs to be much better than what they issued before. Um, they need to use very specific words about police brutality, about racism, um, and acknowledge that this isn't just a new thing, right? I don't know exactly what year she um, knelt for the National Anthem or how many occurrences that she did kneel, 
but they have to realize that this is not a new thing, that this has been going on for years and years. So I think that's what you got to do. You got to first off make that apology, um, specifically acknowledge Megan Rapinoe's efforts in this protest. And you got to, you just got to admit you're wrong, right? Like the Drew Brees, right? Like you said, um, you can't, you have to say that you're wrong. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a hard task for sure. Uh, teams and organizations are, have a fun little task ahead of them trying to, um, make the best out of the situation from, from their organizational standpoint. But you gotta, you gotta admit you're wrong and you gotta single out Rapino and specifically apologize to her. So if I'm the PR person, that's what I'm doing. Now, Connor, even though you are not American, you are in Canada, let's just for the sake of the exercise, right? You might be able to have a more objective statement. What what would you say to the people? What what would you put in your press release tomorrow, assuming that this anthem policy finally gets taken away? First of all, I do not envy this PR person at all. Um, this is an incredibly difficult statement that they have to write because they have to balance the views of the government and the people of power while also balancing public perception. Um, Personally, it would take so much consideration and thought into how I would like to word things, um, how I'd like to convey this message of support, while also not alienating the government that does fund us. Um, I think you do apologize to Megan Rapinoe. I think you acknowledge that we, we did a wrong um, in creating this rule, even though it was in, with the intention of probably saving the organization. Um, I think you also acknowledge that there is racism in North America, in the U.S., around the globe, um, because it is just, that's just a fact. Um like, it's not easy to do this. It's something that's going to take a massive team of people, and it takes a lot of consideration into how you want to specifically word something, how you want to formulate this statement, how you want to use certain words, as uh, Drew, you mentioned, um, police brutality, racism. And that's where I think it's going to be very notable about their actual statement. I personally don't know what I would say. Uh, I would I would have to think for a very long time and consult a lot of people about how I would go about not alienating either side. Um, but I think you tied it over. I think if you're the PR person, you sort of say, look, we acknowledge racism is a thing. We apologize to Megan Rapinoe. We are working on some things for the future, and we'll get back to you soon. And the second he's either voted in or voted out, you announce those plans. You have two different sets of options, because one option, you can be much more liberal than the other one, and I think it will hopefully get a good response, but with the way that U.S. soccer has done things in the past, I hold my doubts. Um... But yeah, it's just, it is so difficult to deal with something like this. And I don't know how they're going to go about it. Um, Obviously, they've had a while to think about this, the PR people. And 
Hopefully they do something positive and don't pull a New York Islanders, but we'll see. Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty much in agreement with you guys. If I'm the PR person, then I think you have to or you have to include racism, police brutality, the systemic issues that have been in this country, and I do think you have to apologize to Megan Rapinoe. That being said, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they will directly apologize to her. And the only reason why I think that's the case is because the NFL did not apologize to Colin Kaepernick in its statement. So, again, for those that don't know, uh, NFL originally put out a blanket statement. It was pretty vague. It was pretty weak. It was pretty terrible, like most organizations, whether it be sports, business, entertainment, whatever, right? There have been a lot of weak statements coming out from these companies. NFL was one of them. Players fed up with it, could not take it anymore. They took the... They took the situation in their own hands. They made their own video saying that they don't condone. Basically, they made a stronger statement than the league itself. That then forced Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, to come out and admit the wrongdoing of forcing their players to stand. And and, and that's great. That's a, I personally was extremely surprised that Goodell himself got out there and said that. He mentioned, if I'm not mistaken, he mentioned racism. He mentioned that Black Lives Matter. He, he said those things, which is great. It's a good start. Again, the only problem is he didn't apologize to Kaepernick. So I'm expecting U.S. Soccer to put out a similar thing. Hopefully they can acknowledge all these issues. Hopefully they can acknowledge that they were wrong. I just don't see them apologizing to Rapino, which will upset a lot of people. And I, I think there is a debate to be had there about what the Federation is responsible for in terms of owing her an apology i would assume that the nfl didn't say anything about kaepernick because they settled a lawsuit with him right about him getting blacklisted out of the league so i'm personally i wonder if there are legalities involved in that to where the league is not allowed legally to say anything about kaepernick and that does not apply in this situation though so i think it's going to be really interesting to see what sort of statement comes out tomorrow there is also the hopefully slight chance that they don't repeal the policy and that they continue to make soccer, U.S. soccer athletes stand during the national anthem. Hopefully that's not the case. If it does happen that way, Twitter will just go up in flames. U.S. soccer will destroy the internet in a fury. So I hope I hope the Federation is smarter than that. I hope this board of directors and council voting on the issue is smarter than that. But we'll see. Um, I also think, I just want to throw this in there but before we move on, um, no one from the Federation should take any credit for this. And while I don't see them giving Megan Rapinoe um, any credit, I, I just hope that the Federation isn't dumb enough. For example, like Cindy Parlocone, I just hope down the road she doesn't take credit for this change or that none of the other people in power at the Federation take any credit for this because as much as I hate to say it at the end of the day, it's because of these protests, right? It's because of the straw that broke the camel's back in George Floyd's murder. That's what's really finally pushing all of these organizations to say something about what has been a problem forever in this country. So, no one from the Federation should be taking credit for this. I hope that they don't take advantage of that situation and go that route. I think it would be despicable, and I think it would be extremely disappointing. So just wanted to throw that out there. 
Uh, I think we're all on the same page with that. So uh, that's pretty much what's going on. We'll have, I'm sure we'll we'll follow up next week on next week's podcast about what sort of announcement um, is going on. But to move on, there was Bundesliga action, like we mentioned um, earlier in this uh, in this podcast. We won't be spending as much time on it as we did the last few weeks. Frankly, it was a pretty quiet weekend uh, along the lines of of the soccer of the U.S. players, I should say, the American players, and as well as Alfonso Davies, who's still playing just as well as before. Bayern seemingly running away um, with the Bundesliga title. Um, as far as the rest of what was going on, I think John Brooks was probably the only standout. He played really well for Wolfsburg. He's helping them, uh, looks like, secure Europa League spot, which is pretty solid for them. Good way to finish out the season. Um, Tyler Adams, he played a full 90. It was a draw with bottom table, bottom of the table Paderborn, which is disappointing for Leipzig. And then Weston McKinney didn't play this weekend. Uh, he accumulated too many yellow cards. Uh, Josh Sargent, Werder Bremen, they lost again. So uh, pretty quiet. No one scored. No one did anything of um, merit, I would say, of anything notable. Uh, if you want, you guys got anything to add about Bundesliga, anything you want to say before we get into the the meat of this episode Davies had another good game uh it's sort of been a trend recently he did get subbed out late in the match but his substitution Hernandez did not do well um like I think almost immediately after he came on um Bayer Leverkusen had a chance but yeah he's playing well I think his defensive game still needs a lot of work as I mentioned before but look I'm optimistic this kid could be one of the best on the planet Jonathan David, hopefully he's coming to Bundesliga soon. But yeah, I don't know. I think Bundesliga is sort of winding down. And Bayern have run away with it. Sorry, Drew. Um, but yeah, like there wasn't there isn't really much to say with this past weekend. There were no real goals or obviously McKenney, who's been playing really well recently, didn't do anything. So yeah, that's really all I have to say. Yeah, not a whole lot going on. Schalke didn't lose, which is good for Josh. Um, But yeah, Reyna came in for Dortmund, uh, came in the 68th minute, didn't get a whole lot, but didn't do bad with the time he got. Dortmund won, so it was a pretty solid weekend for me over on the Bundesliga, but nothing too incredible. Yeah, um, it's going to be interesting to see if Gio Reyna still gets playing time, if this Holland injury isn't serious, but I think it's notable that he hasn't filled in necessarily for... Every single match, it's been Thorgan Hazard uh, with Sancho and, uh, oh, who's the other attacker they've been using? Thorgan Hazard? I I had Hazard. It's Thorgan Hazard, Jaden Sancho, and Brandt, Julian Brandt. Um, but, yeah, I, we had this conversation last week about whether or not he should be loaned out, and we'll see if that continues, but... I guess we should move on and touch on the NWSL, which we've promised we'd talk about for the last two weeks, uh, and we haven't gotten to. But they've announced that they will be resuming play with a Challenge Cup. Uh, Drew, do you want to dive into it a little bit for us? Absolutely, yeah. So NWSL Challenge Cup 2020 going to be in Utah. Um, I think they had proposed a couple sites um, but Utah was the one they settled on. It's going to start June 27th with the first set of games um, and end on July 26th, which with, 
I believe the season opener and the championship being on CBS TV, and you can everyone can watch the games um, on CBS All Access, which is like six bucks a month, and you get the whole competition. So if you want to get into selling, that's the way you get it. Um, so yeah, starts June twenty seventh, ends July twenty sixth. Um, each team will play four games, with eight of the nine teams in the league making the playoffs. And something that I thought was kind of iffy and interesting because we talked a little bit about it with MLS's possible return, but these games were randomly drawn. Um, I think they were drawn, I want to say a week from today, as we're recording this on Monday, I think a week ago they were drawn. Um, So that's interesting that these games are random. Uh, There is no, there is seeding, but it doesn't mean anything. You have the one through nine, but it's not based upon anything. So for you guys, we talked a little bit about the possibility of a random draw for MLS now that you've seen a random draw for NWSL, what's your take on it? Personally, I don't really think it's super applicable just because NWSL only has nine teams, right? And that's just a, I mean, that's, was that less than a third? Uh, it's about a third of, of MLS's 26 teams. So I don't know that you can look at NWSL and say, yeah, we can do a random draw with, uh, with MLS and it kind of seems like MLS is sort of set out on breaking things up into four groups and, and picking the leaders of those groups based on last year's results. Uh, that being said, personally, I think it'd be really interesting if there was a draw. I think with MLS, I could definitely see a few teams moan and complain about getting lumped into a, a group of death, right, and not advancing when they might be better than other teams advancing, which isn't quite as as much of an issue with NWSL again because they're they're basically all playing each other um, in those couple games. It's very very spread out across, um, and which they can do since it's it's so small. So I think the draw, at least for NWSL, is a cool idea. It's a good way to keep people interested and to um, you know, Drew, like you said, there's just no there's no real rhyme or reason. There was no rankings at all. The the seating was was pretty much random as well. So I think. That's a good way to get this kicked off. Yeah, I agree. It's just I think it's a good format to get them back right away. Uh, they're obviously going to be the first sport to come back in North America, and it's really noble because they're going to get a lot of eyes. Um, yeah, there's not really much I need to add to tr- uh, Josh's points. He's kind of hit everything, but I think what's really noticeable is the start date. I think it's what time? Sorry, I don't know what when U.S. schools end. What time? in the year do high schools and elementary schools and middle schools and all that end in the U.S.? Late May, early, mid, late May, I think. Yeah, that that's at least for Georgia. And I think the South, for the most part, kind of operates on that. I believe my cousins in the Northeast in Connecticut, their school starts later and ends later. I think they would be getting out of school about now or in about a week, kind of mid-June. But for the most part, it's end of June, all of July, most of July that schools are, are out of out of session and on summer break. That's notable because in Canada, it's schools, or at least public schools, tend to end, at least when I went, late June. So like, June 28th, 29th, 26th, 27th. I'm not sure exactly when it ends this term or this year, but that could be really impactful if 
for, for the Canadian female players who have kids in school? Do you want to pull them out for the last few days of school to go to this tournament? Uh, I feel like they probably would, but I guess that option to randomly be able to pull out, which we'll get into in a second, is important. I don't know. I think it's just a good setup. Timing may be a little interesting. I maybe would have delayed it a couple more days to maybe coincide with like a July 4th thing. Uh, but maybe they wanted to be baseball in case they were potentially going to start on July 4th, which I know was rumored. So who knows? Um, it's just good to have North American sports back, to be honest. I I think it, it kind of comes down to honestly just uh, how soon they could get things kicked off because you know it's it's no secret that women's sports doesn't at least right now doesn't attract as many eyes as men's sports and that's just how it is around the world um and that's changing thankfully but it's just the reality of the situation this is a great chance for the national women's soccer league to not only pick up on the world cup success but like you said Connor, get their eyes, get people's eyes. Um, and when this plan first started to sort of leak out, when there were reports about this plan, it almost felt like, and I think we briefly talked about this on a, on a couple episodes ago, but kind of felt like the league was rushing back almost at the expense of the health of their players. Thankfully it's gotten sorted out and it sounds like there's a good plan in place and the players sound like they're on board with this, with this plan. But at the time it kind of felt like the league was trying so hard to get back that they almost been compromising um, the situation. So I think, you know, that that's kind of where it just come, comes down to. They just want to be the first team back. They want to, they, get, they want to get people's eyes and I hope they do. I, I hope that the league gets more attention I'll, as someone that is a soccer fan i'll admit i haven't watched a ton of women's soccer i of course enjoyed the women's world cup last year as a, as a u.s fan and uh it was really fun to watch players that i'm just not accustomed to seeing and i i for one will probably tune in and i've never seen a minute of nwsl soccer in my life it was just never really available and I, also, there's no team in the South. I mean, there is North Carolina Courage, but I don't really feel any sense of affiliation with them. If there was an Atlanta team, and if it was an Atlanta team owned by Arthur Blank and partnered with Atlanta United, you bet I'd be watching every minute. I'd be going all the games I could because I love soccer, and it'd be really cool to have a team here in the area. So at least for me personally, that's kind of part of the disconnect, and hopefully with uh, this tournament happening, this will... I, they might gain a new fan and someone like me, someone that enjoys soccer, especially here in the States is feeling a little deprived of that recently. And, uh, you know, beforehand just didn't watch much of this league. So kudos to them, honestly, for coming back. It sounds like the league has done a great job. We talked about it. I think last week, guaranteed salaries, housing insurance, um, Drew, talk us through what's going on with the women's national team players specifically and sort of how, they're approaching this tournament. Yeah, so the women's national team, like the rest of the players in the NBSL, um, they can choose whether or not to play in the competition. Um, and you're having some players already confirming that they will be playing in the competition. Um, I think Jessica McDonald of the North Carolina Courage is already reported that she's going to be playing. Um, 
And you see pictures on Twitter of certain players training with their teams. I've seen pictures of Rose Lavelle with the Washington Spirit. Um, but they have some players that are opting out. Uh, Megan Rapino specifically was reported that she will not be playing. Um, and then you have questions of specifically Alex Morgan, who just had her child, um, questions about if she wants to go to Utah, leaving her family behind. So women's national team players have the choice, as do the rest of the players in the league, of whether or not they play in the competition. Um, and like Josh said, really big kudos to the Players Association and the league for working this out, because if the player chooses not to participate in the competition, uh, there is no punishment. They still get their full salary um, and everything that they would receive as if they were playing. So really awesome to see the Players Association and the league uh, working together on that. But specifically for the women's national team, they will be on minute restrictions uh, for this tournament. Um, that was already an agreement in place between the NWSL and U.S. soccer. So, guys, just really quick, um, as obviously U.S. women's national team, best in the world, right? So, you know, the players on the women's national team are going to be the best players in the leagues. Um, so with the minute restriction idea, how do you guys think that is going to shape this competition because teams are going to have their stars on minute restrictions because obviously you want to keep your players safe both from a virus perspective and a fitness perspective um you're trying you're playing in utah with the elevation that's a factor so how do you think the minute restrictions is going to affect the quality of play in this tournament uh so i think that again speaking as a, a very very casual fan of women's soccer right the players that i know best are the international stars i'm gonna know most of the women's national team players from the u.s i already know some players like sam kerr from australia and christine sinclair from canada and you know all all these other international players right I, i know those players so from the perspective of someone like me if i am chilling in the house and i know there's an nwsl game that's about to be on I don't really know the teams that well but i'm inclined to know a few of the players i'm probably going to be a little disappointed right that the international players that I am familiar with aren't playing. So for someone like me personally, who understands the physicality behind soccer and the minutes restrictions, right? I can understand where they're coming from, but if I'm an even more casual viewer, right, I might be upset. I might say, why the heck aren't the players I know playing? So I think that how they handle that situation I don't really know if it'll end up having a really big effect on on the quality. I think there might be some effect. And it'll be really interesting just to see how teams handle their U.S. women's national team players um, and and just how restricted those minutes are, right? We don't know. It could be 45-minute restriction. It could just be 60. Maybe it's even 70. You know, maybe they'll only be taking those players out kind of towards the end of the games, depending on the situation. Uh, What do you think about it, Connor? I'm, as much as it pains me to say this and I think it's unfortunate to say this I worry that the tournament's not going to be taken seriously because they're not going to have the best players playing the full time not all of the best players are going to go you know one of your biggest named players that we've talked about numerous times on this show is Megan Arpino and she's reportedly not going to go so there's one big name that won't end up playing there's potential for Alex Morgan, as you mentioned, not to go. And those are two of your biggest U.S. women's national team stars. And I think that really hurts your credibility um, as a league and could 
very well hurt the tournament. I don't want that to happen, and I'm, I should mention, I'm also a very casual viewer, more casual than both of Drew and Josh, um, because there are no Canadian teams, and WSL, please fix that, but yeah, I just, I worry that this isn't going to be taken seriously. It's going to be like a rushed joke that people sort of brush off, and the people who try to justify that women's sports aren't as good as men's sports, which is just such a stupid argument, are going to try to use it as ammo in the future without really considering everything that's gone into making this happen and the potential risks that the players are taking. Yeah, so I'm going to toot my own horn here. Uh, I absolutely love the NWSL. Um, last year was my first season. I really followed it. Um, it's such a cool league, and I'm excited about it. I think one of the cool things about the league is, like last year in the summer, right, you had a boatload of players leaving for the Women's World Cup. You had all 23 U.S. Women's National Team players. You had um, a handful of Australian players like Ellie Carpenter from Portland, uh, Sanker when she was with Chicago. And that really opened the door for a lot of other players to shine, specifically with the courage. I mean, you had like players like Lynn Williams, Kristen Hamilton, that although they, they're kind of flirting with the national team picture, uh, they didn't get called up to France. And that really gave them their time to shine. Um, so for potentially for a 2023 World Cup or an Olympic call-up, so I think this minute restriction is going to open the door for a lot of other players that may not be those household names, right? That may not be the Megan Rapinoe's Alex Morgan. I think this competition is going to give them a lot of spotlight because, like we said, we're kind of all hungry for sports, and this is one of the first things that we have back. So this is going to give them a really good shot to show what they're made of. Um, I'm really interested to see how they define a national team player, right? Because you have the players that are always with the team. Um, you have the Alex Morgans, the Rapinos, but then you have players that kind of are on that bubble, um, whether or not they will be treated as if they've been on every roster beforehand. Um, so that's interesting to see how they will be classified. But it's exciting. I'm excited to see how the tournament plays out. Um, like we said, eight of the nine teams are going to advance to the knockout round. Um, and like we also have said, uh, there's still questions about which players are reporting. Some players we know we have a pretty good idea of, and some players um, we really don't know. But teams have until June 21st to submit their rosters. Um, and the league has not ruled out the possibility of returning in the fall. Uh, I kind of, I personally find that a little too optimistic. Um, do you guys think that there's any shot this league comes back to normal in the fall? Just based on what we're seeing in the U.S., right, things are, like, businesses are opening up at a rapid rate, and whether or not that's the right decision, obviously, time is going to give us that answer. At the rate the country is going, though, I do think we'll reach that, quote-unquote, sense of normalcy by the fall, because if we're saying that September is the beginning of fall, that's still a good three months away, and the pandemic really took hold in this country three months ago. So think about how much has happened in these three months, how much can happen in the next three months. So I don't I don't think I fully agree with you, Drew. I don't think it's quite that optimistic on their part. I think it's closer to realistic 
again, we're going to find out pretty soon, I think, whether or not we've opened up the country too soon. We just need to get those numbers in. Uh, one other thing I want to throw in there that I don't think we've really talked about in terms of the quality of the tournament and how much it'll be taken seriously, I think we're underestimating just how important the first game of the tournament is, right? Because like you said, Drew, the very first game and the very last game are the games that will be nationally televised, free to all on CBS's main channel, right? So let's say that people are going to give this league a shot and they tune in for the first game and it ends nil-nil, right? Then you will get those idiots that say, oh, well, I guess that's just women's soccer. I guess it's just boring, blah, 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 right? The stupid opinion not based in any fact, right? So hopefully that first game is really exciting to the casual viewer. Again, maybe it's an exciting nil-nil draw, right? People want to see goals, of course. So Personally, I hope the first game hooks people and it really gets people's attention. That way it can carry some momentum through the tournament, get some eyes on it that otherwise wouldn't normally be watching. And then hopefully by word of mouth, right, by the championship game, by the end, you've got all these people saying, hey, this tournament has been really fun. And these final two teams, it's going to be a great game. And then you get even more people involved in it. And hopefully there will be more games in the fall. And then you can retain some of this audience and the league ideally gets to keep growing. So that's one thing that I think we've kind of underestimated in, in terms of talking about the legitimacy of this tournament. So I just felt the need to, to get that out there. Yeah, I think another risk that we're sort of ignoring is the fact that the end date is July 26th. That is incredibly close to a lot of the major professional men's leagues are going to be resuming play. And they're going to have to compete with the NHL coming back, the and oh, that's questionable now because they're reportedly not going to start training camp until July 10th um, at the earliest. But the NBA is looking to come back, I think, July 31st. Who knows what's happening in the MLB? MLS looks like they're inching closer and closer to returning. So there is that factor and the fact that the NWSL is going to have to compete with these major leagues and we'll see if that works out we'll see if that's something that isn't an issue or if it becomes one it's something that we will be really interesting to see and it'll be really interesting to see how fans take it how fans accept the games will they just brush it off and go to European soccer or will this be really really embraced um yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if it's available in Canada. Hopefully it is, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah. um, you, go ahead, Drew. Yeah, I was just going to mention um, the games are available on Twitch for Canada, so that's um, really cool. And Josh, like you mentioned, um, the first game being such a big deal, I don't know if they have it dead set on which of the two first games are going to be shown by looking at the schedule. Um and it looks like they have the, the the courage and the Portland Thorns could be that first um, big national TV set. So that's really a good point that you make that it kind of feels like women's soccer has like this holy one only one shot that you get for people to take it seriously. And like we did mention, women's soccer is going through a lot of momentum with the Women's World Cup um, in 2019. And it's worth noting that a lot of other women's leagues around the world have just canceled. Um, I know the WSL and I think the Women's Serie A just canceled um, 
so in Europe. So this is a really good chance for the NWSL to build upon the women's soccer momentum and kind of just stand alone at the top of this mountain as, as far as I know, the only league to return. So it's a really cool shot. So uh, before we wrap up this podcast, which we've got a little fun thing we'll talk about uh, with this tournament, I just want to throw out there, uh, in the time that we've been recording this podcast, a little bit of news has popped up with some of the things we were talking about earlier. Um, according to Jonathan Tannenwald with the Philadelphia Inquirer, the owner of the North Carolina Courage, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Let me pull it up real quick. Uh, Steve Malik, also on the USSF uh, board. Okay, He's also one of the members voting. He says that uh, being on the right side of history on this thing makes a lot of sense to me. So he's uh, making it sound like to the Inquirer that that ban on kneeling during the national anthem will be repealed tomorrow. Sounds like that's how that's going to go, which is excellent news. It's also being reported by Andrew Doss, I think is how you say his last name, from the New York Times. He covers tons of soccer stuff, especially with FIFA and their shadiness, uh, but I digress. He is also reporting that apparently the uh, <laughs> U.S. soccer's national anthem policy never actually applied to the men's national team and women's national team. Apparently, uh, because of those collective bargaining agreements with the men's team and women's team, uh, that rule change would not have even gone into effect. So it seems like the anthem policy actually only applied to, I believe, youth teams and coaching staffs so the apparently the the non-union workforce so that's kind of weird hopefully we'll get some some clarification on that in the next couple days sounds like u.s soccer being u.s soccer as as normal being pretty stupid about stuff um but it also sounds like that policy which i don't think should be there in the first place looks like it's going to get repealed so that's just a little bit of news again we'll follow up next week especially as some more things come out but uh Let's get to the, the, the little fun last thing we're going to do. Um, so we decided to pick teams to cheer for, to follow during this tournament. Uh, Drew, Connor, one of you want to start us off on which team you've picked and give us some reasons why, whether they're silly or not. I'll go first because I know absolutely nothing about the NWSL, and this is purely based on what I said we shouldn't do in our Bundesliga team picks, which is I'm basing it off of how many Canadian <laughs> players are on said team. So I'm going with the Houston Dash, simply because they have Sophie Schmidt, uh, Nichelle Prince, and one of my favorite Canadian women's national team players, Alicia Chapman. I think she's incredibly underrated. Uh, Both fullbacks and her and Diana Matheson, uh, as well as uh, Jade Riviera. I believe it's Jade uh, Riviera, who's a young up-and-comer. I think they're all incredibly underrated, incredibly talented, and yeah, there's not much I can add because I don't really follow the league. Drew, please go into more detail as to why you chose your team. Okay, so I am a supporter of the North Carolina Courage, defending two-time champions. Um, but I think I'm on. The, I, I don't know if Josh is in the same boat, but I'm like a hundred percent waiting for Atlanta to get a team. So once NWSL expands to Atlanta, I'm leaving the Courage and going to Atlanta. But it's a really funny story. I'm gonna run through it really quickly. Why I like the Courage. But it's specifically about Abby Dahlkemper. She's a center back for the women's national team and for the Courage. She wore um, Jennifer Lawrence, the actress, specifically in The Hunger Games, is what I know her from because I loved those books as a kid. 
but she wore Jennifer Lawrence's name on the back of her jersey. It, like, it was like this big women's national team thing, like wearing the name of women that inspired you. So I was like, okay, you're wearing Jennifer Lawrence. You're my favorite player. Uh, started doing some research on her. She plays for the Courage, the, like Josh said, the closest team to us here in Atlanta. Um, and then they come to find out the Courage are like ridiculously good. Um, 2018, I think they lost one game the whole season. Um, then followed it up with another championship in 2019. So that is why I am a Courage fan. Yeah, Drew, you've got it easy. Between being an Atlanta fan and a Courage fan, that's like tons of silverware in just the last championships. four years. So, so many championships. The South got something to say, man. <laughs> um, for me, I am going with the Portland Thorns. Two reasons. First reason being that um, I absolutely love watching Tobin Heath play soccer because it looks like every time she has the ball, she's just trying to embarrass her opponents, which I am all for. So so much fun to watch her have her way with the competition. So that's reason number one. And then reason number two is they just have the coolest kit. That that black kit that came out a couple yep. weeks ago with the rose petals Hard on it agree. and the red trim. Hard agree. I am for sure getting one of those shirts. I... I'm going to wait and hopefully I can find a deal or get a gift card from a family member to Nike so that I don't have to spend quite as much money because I've already spent tons of money on soccer jerseys. But as soon as I saw that, that blackout kit, the whatever dark, I can't remember what they're calling it. The dark side kit. It it's so freaking cool. I want one so bad. So I guess by default, the thorns have gotten a fan out of me. But like Drew said, as soon as Atlanta gets a team, I'm dropping everything else in the league, and I'm going straight to the Atlanta team. Yeah, have you seen the Chicago Red Stars kits, though? Those oh, yeah. are so cool. Those, those are awesome. To me, really those cool are the designs. best kits in the world. I thought those were really good, but I just I love these Thorn kits even more. And even the Thorns white kit, whatever it is, with the like the the actual Thorns on it. it yeah, yeah, with like yeah. the rose thorns and the stems going across it. Like that's just such a cool design. Dude, the Houston Dash, shout out to Connor. The Houston Dash just released new jerseys, and they're fresh too. So the NWSL is like kicking MLS's butt on these kit designs. Well, that's not exactly is, difficult, every let's be honest. World, <laughs> Plain white t-shirts, man. The league loves them. <laughs> yeah, gotta love creativity. Yeah. So yeah, uh, we've been going on it for about an hour, so we're going to wrap things up. Thank you guys so much for listening um, as we talked about a lot in WSL um, protests and just everything. So again, please visit MLSmultiplex.com even through this break and as things begin to ramp back up for soccer, uh, writers have still been cranking out really good articles pertaining to both NWSL, MLS, and everything. So really encourage you guys to go to the website and check some of the stuff out um, as news continues to develop. And yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Yeah, be sure to listen to some previous episodes if you haven't already, and we will talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast. Check out all of the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com.